Hello and welcome to the Giving Voice to Depression podcast, produced in partnership with the A.B. Corcor Foundation for Mental Health. I'm Terry, the creator and co-host of this podcast. I've lived with depression most of my life, and I know how easy it can be to feel all alone in the experience. I'm not alone, and you aren't either. And I'm Dr. Anita Sands, a licensed clinical psychologist and life coach with a number of my own diagnoses, all of which bring a certain amount of anxiety and depression along with them. There is great power in shared experiences. We share our own as we engage in intimate and candid conversations with our weekly guests, exploring different perspectives on and experiences with depression. We keep it real because depression is real. We keep it hopeful because there truly is hope in spite of what depression tells you. Hi, Terry. Hello, Anita. So we begin this episode with a million thanks. Seven years ago, nearly to the day, we launched this podcast with the belief that talking about depression would take away some of its power and shame. We were told it was a bad idea, Mm. that no one would want to share about their darkest days, And that if they did, nobody would want to listen. Thankfully, we didn't listen. And this week, we hit 1 million plays in more than 50 countries across the globe. The top 10 countries where we're heard are the U.S., where we're located, Canada, the U.K., Australia, Germany, France, Singapore, the Netherlands, United Arab Emirates, and Brazil. We are so very, very grateful that our hundreds of guests have prioritized connection and helping other humans live better lives with depression over the stigma that keeps us isolated and silent. And we are grateful to you for listening, really. And if you've been helped in any way by hearing these weekly episodes featuring candid, intimate stories about experiences and mental health journeys similar to your own, we would love to include your voice in a future episode or conference presentation about the power of shared stories. Please go to our website, givingvoicetodepression.com, and record us a message. There's a little button there that's clearly marked. Together, we are making it a little easier and safer for people to speak up and get the help and support they need to live with depression. So with that, Anita, let's dive into our episode. Okay. So Terry, when people first hear the term dual diagnosis, they might often think it's being diagnosed with two conditions like anxiety and depression at the same time. But dual diagnosis is the term that we use when someone is experiencing a mental illness and a substance abuse problem simultaneously. And either one can develop first. Sometimes a person who's depressed or anxious or manic will turn to drugs or alcohol as a way to self-medicate. Abusing substances, though, can lead also to mental health problems because of the effects that drugs have on a person's brain chemistry, and that can affect their mood, their thoughts, and their behavior, too. According to the National Alliance on Mental Illness, or NAMI, a third of all people experiencing mental illnesses And about half of those living with severe mental illnesses also experience substance abuse. And those statistics are mirrored in the substance abuse community, where about a third of all alcohol abusers and more than half of all drug abusers report experiencing a mental illness. Men, by the way, are more likely to develop a co-occurring disorder than women. Today's guest, Don, is one such man. And the matter-of-fact, no-shame way he discusses his mental health journey is just the style needed to fight stigma. 
Don has a history of addictions, or what are now called substance use disorders. He also has anxiety disorder and clinical depression. He is also a veteran, father of six, grandfather of five, and a great-grandfather. Each of those describe just a part of Don Sircone, who is so much more than any one thing or diagnosis. Here now is Don, giving his voice to depression. Donald, like many of us, believes his depression and anxiety were unwelcomed roommates long before he realized they had moved in. And I've been suffering from uh, clinical depression, I think, a lot longer than I believe. I can't pinpoint the exact time, but now looking back, I see all my anxieties. I was one of them kids that didn't want to miss a thing in the neighborhood. And if I did, I would suffer like severe anxiety. Like if my friends went somewhere and I missed it. Uh, and I didn't understand those feelings back then. I didn't know what they were. Don was nearly 40 before those feelings were finally named. In 1996, I was... Uh, professionally diagnosed originally bipolar which was wrong they put me on lithium and all these mood stabilizers and it made me nuts and I went back for a second diagnosis and I was diagnosed with an anxiety disorder and clinical depression. They immediately put me on Prozac because back then that's I think all there was Prozac and Zoloft. A quick note if I may. Don uses words like nuts and crazy when he tells his story and it's his story so he can use whatever words he wants. But we want to quickly point out in the way so many commonly used words are now being re-examined. Those are now recognized as examples of stigmatizing language, so we no longer use them. Not a slam, just a point. Back to Don and his experience with meds. So, through a hit-and-miss process of elimination, we found the proper cocktail for me which is ESCitalopram and uh, gabapentin for the anxiety. So what does the proper cocktail look and feel like for you, Don? What's the difference between being on the right meds and not? Oh, wow. Without them, it's it's like night and day. Uh, I thought I didn't need the gabapentin, so I stopped taking it. And it turns out that once it's out of my system and I don't have it in me, I really, I mean, I'm anxious. I mean, my chest hurts by the end of the day. And I was going crazy, so I started taking it again. And it eases the anxiety. It doesn't make it go away completely, but it's enough that I can live because this anxiety, and especially the depression, is, is truly debilitating. Uh, I can't get out of bed. I mean, there were nights or, that I went to bed at 11 o'clock at night, and I didn't get out of bed until two days later. And I would actually sleep off and on for 48 hours. 
and it was really tough going so I never did that again as far as not taking my medication and then the depressant antidepressant without that that's I won't even go there it's dark my depressions get really dark and here's where we double back to the definition of dual diagnosis and the fact that about half of people living with severe mental illness also experience substance abuse. But I've been in and out of the rooms of uh, NA and AA since 93. <clears throat> My drug of choice was, oh, I'll try that. Uh, cocaine, LSD, alcohol, uh, pain medication, that kind of thing. And if I take pain medication now, I had it for an operation I had. The following day, I am so depressed for like days on one pain pill. So I can't take those anymore. Don says he's been sober for quite a while now. And he credits his support network. When you join an association like uh, Alcoholics Anonymous, Narcotics Anonymous, it, there's power in the masses. We all know that. So that's like why they congregate for church every Sunday. You bring all those souls into one building, there's a power about it. And you just meet people along the way and people you like and that you can speak with and tell them anything without judgment or uh, those are the ones you keep in your support network. Don says there are only about five or six people in that network. And since he's moved to Florida, where he says he is really finding relief in the extra sunshine, most of them are now a thousand plus miles away. But it doesn't matter these days with, you know, uh, video messenger and skype and facetime and it's miraculous for us people who need people this is this technology is is incredible it's it's moved us so for, far forward you know you people we used to say well i don't like just talking into a receiver well you don't have to do that anymore you can just you can look at somebody face to face and so it's made recovery life a lot simpler. Made it simpler, Don says, not by just providing some additional avenues of connection, but by removing an excuse to not reach out. I mean, you know, it, the, our worst, one of our worst enemies is the excuse when you're an addict. You can rationalize, I can rationalize anything and make it sound good to myself. I guess that's our superpower, <laughs> us addicts. But uh, yeah, that was that really helped because even with the doctors now, you know, we go to doctors' appointments online. I, that's how I do all my psychiatric care with the VA is video, like we're doing now, except they use their own. It's Don says the Veterans Administration has been a source of support for him on many levels. I'll tell you, the VA for, for mental health is just amazing, other than the fact they're limited in the medication they can give you. 
but uh, their impatience is just amazing. It's caring and compassionate. I've gotten a few of my support network through the VA, people I was in inpatient with. And I tell you, they, they work hard for you. To be honest, caring and compassionate is far from the most used phrases we hear from our guests when they describe their treatment. So we asked Don to elaborate on his experience with the VA. They've made leaps and bounds in their care for uh, mental illness. And now that they're discovering, you know, the, the old shell shock or battle fatigue is now PTSD. They've found something that they can group all these symptoms to and, and, and care for that person according to these symptoms. Now they know. It's just not that you're afraid of loud noises or you're just so tired that you can't go on. These are symptoms. Don's military training may be one reason he so consciously arms himself to fight off his depression. Music is another of his weapons. I'm a music fanatic. That's my how people watch TV. That's how, how I deal with music. See, I take a lot of you know, song lyric and apply them to my life and a lot of it works. Like, there's one in particular by an artist at the end of the song. He says, the days I put my gratitude higher than my expectations, I have good days. And I like that. Yeah, I, I did. It hit me really hard. And I use that. It's like my mantra right now. Well, that's worth repeating. When I put my gratitude higher than my expectations, I have good days. Hmm. Because they're not all good, right? But with experience and discipline, they can often be managed. I don't know what sometimes. I'll be fine one second, and then I'll be staring off, zoning out. And next thing you know, I'm in my head. Next thing you know, I'm I'm down. But now... When that happens, I used to just let it go, and it would really turn into an episode. Now what I do, if I feel that, I'll go in my room and or out on the lanai, you know, back porch and in the sun, and just play some music. Whatever my mood is, I play the opposite. Like from down, I play poppy music. From up. I'll play whatever. It doesn't affect me when I'm feeling good. It just makes me feel better. And it is such a great tool to fight depression, anxiety, you know. Don has learned over the years that our tools work best and quickest when we pull them out as early on the slide down as possible. Yeah, if you get on it right away your fix it it may not work but it's a better chance than just sitting there doing nothing you're guaranteed to suffer if you do nothing but do not lay in your bed those are the worst worst times and as a depressed person don't be one of them guys that lays in bed and watches tv and stuff that's definitely not a good thing Don says while he's feeling good now, he still remembers what bad felt like. And it was empathy building bad. I know what it feels like when I see a friend or a family member in the same 
boat. It just it rips my heart out. Because a lot of times, more times than none, they don't have depression. They don't suffer from it. You know, that's you. That that disease is yours, not mine. Because they're embarrassed or they think they're crazy. See, we need to switch that around. Just, you know, you're not crazy because you have a mental illness. You're you're ill, but you're not crazy. It's it's a disease. It's not. I, I'm so flustered with this. This you know, snap out of it, rub dirt in it, and take a lap. Uh, whatever. I, I can't handle no more. Are you okay? Are you okay? Are you okay? you know over and over again? What can I do? What? Well, just sit here. Let me talk. That's all I want. That can be such a seemingly impossible point to communicate to the people around us. So we asked Don to go into that a little deeper. And his answer reveals how our wants and needs can shift at different phases of a depressive episode, which makes it important to ask the question, how can I support you today? I don't speak well when I'm depressed. Along with everybody else, I'm sure I'm not the only one, but... I don't like to talk to people, especially when they start joking with me. I just get so irritated and I get more mad or angry. And, and it's like, leave me the alone. Just leave me alone. If I want to talk, I'll talk. And, and it's more likely just going to be to vent or to get what's in my head out. I don't need you to respond. I don't need, uh, you know, maybe a hug. Or uh, I hope you're feeling better later or something. But I I don't want to carry on one of these grab-ass, you know, conversations where you're joking with one another. I certainly wouldn't have the energy for it. No, that's what it is. It takes energy. That's what it is. I've been thinking what it does to me. And that's that's it. You just solve or answer the question of mine why I get like. Like why I don't want to speak or why I don't want to do it because all my energy is directed inward. You said a bit ago that you're surrounded by people who don't understand depression. What do they need to understand? What do you wish they understood? Just me, the way I am. I mean, I'm like predictably unpredictable. You know, like they know I'm moody. They know. When I'm like that, I don't like to talk. I don't like to do it. And, and they seem to feel that it's their place to make me feel better. And But they don't understand how to do it. And I explain to them, just don't say anything. Uh, if you see me walk into a room, you say, how you doing? And I, I'm honest. I don't say, oh, I'm good when I'm not. I don't hide that anymore. I come out. If they ask how I'm doing, I tell them exactly how I'm doing. And they just don't want to leave me alone when I'm in, in an episode. And I just want them to respect it what I'm going through. Just respect it. You don't got to fix it. You don't got to do anything. So I get what you're saying as a person with depression. As a person living with someone with depression, I always want to make it better, even though I know because I have it that I can't. So 
I mean, how do you address that? Like, it's it's totally natural for somebody to not want someone they care about to be hurting. Okay, I don't, I don't jump in anymore like I used to. I used to do the same thing. Come on, let's do something. Let's get out of this. And maybe if you got busy and this and that. Now, I can read a person that I know uh, what they're going through. And if I see any sign of what I go through, I leave them alone. I'm there, and I let them know I'm there. If you need to talk, I'm not going to say nothing. I'm not going to try to fix anything. All I'm going to say is that when you're ready, let's talk. It's like the other old saying, the old adage that uh, when the student's ready, the teacher will appear. Yeah, and I want them to know that. And then when it comes time, then they can lay down their instructions, what they want me to do. And then I'll do it. If they tell me, then fine. If not, I keep my mouth shut, And except for the fact that I tell them I'm here for you. That's how I handle it. I don't know anybody else how they do it. But I give them what I expect. And that seems to work. That insight and instinct are some of the rewards of lived experience. That's that's our leverage or our advantage because we know how far we can go with another depressed person and what we can do. We try out what we want done to us, and usually that's what works. When you tell them when you're ready to talk, then, then it's only a matter of minutes before they spill their guts and get all that stuff out of their head. But if you push, it's like a teenager. You know, the more you push them to do something, the more they resist. And it's the same thing with depression, because I think depression takes away a lot of your maturity, because you just want to sit there and stomp your feet and moan and cry and this and that. But you fight that. One other thing Donald fights is stigma. But I'm not afraid of the stigma. I don't care. I I will hunt you down. And I will talk about my depression. Because that's the only way to get through it. It, 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 your, your Your therapy only works for as honest as you are with your therapist. The more brutally honest you get, the more help you're going to get. Okay, so Terry, I've got a couple of takeaways from Don's story. I loved his honesty. And as a therapist, I loved one of his recommendations, which was to be honest with your therapist, mm-hmm. you know, that you will get as much out of therapy as you can put into it in terms of your willingness to be um, honest and authentic. That's very true, very difficult to do. But I love that he said that. Um Before you jump to the next point, I want to say it makes perfect sense, even though yeah. there is a reluctance to be you know, really honest and disclosing and vulnerable. But if you went to a doctor and just mentioned that you have a headache and didn't mention you also have a backache or a something else ache, they don't have those dots to connect for you. They can't help you. So it's the same thing. It's really interesting. But I understand how it can take a long time to get to a point where you Mm -hmm. feel comfortable enough saying like the big things. Mm -hmm. 
the big things and and things about the relationship that maybe are not working. So, um, again, being honest with your therapist if you're getting frustrated. The therapeutic relationship? Yes, yes. So oh, if you're getting frustrated. I've never done that. Oh. Yeah, if you're getting frustrated saying, you know, nothing's changing or, you know, when you say this, it doesn't make any sense to me or I feel like you're thinking I'm not trying hard enough or just sharing your personal experience about being the client to your therapist actually will make your therapy work so much better. So it's honesty about everything. Oh, I'm so glad to hear that. I've, I've never been told that. Mm-hmm. Thanks. Yeah. Yeah. I think the power um, of being obviously in a support group like AA or NA is incredible. I recommend it. I've seen the results of that. Um, and I, I just think anytime we find the people who who understand our experience from the lived experience end of it, it's mm-hmm. their recommendations, their support is more effective. It means more. They get it. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And that is peer support, right? That's what Don's doing by sharing his story. Yes. He is offering yes. that same experience to anybody across the globe who might be listening and can say like, mm-hmm. oh, he just said it. He just said it, you know, and the world didn't mm-hmm. stop and no one, oh, you know, you didn't hear any gasps of, of you know, s- surprise or shock or horror or judgment. Mm-hmm. Just like, yeah, that's his reality. You know, his yeah, drug of choice right. was, sure, I'll try that, right? Sure, I'll try it. Yeah. Yeah. He is just yeah. uh, very, very disclosing and very uh, vulnerable, which was mm-hmm. really, I appreciated that and really enjoyed talking to him as well. So thank you, Don, again for sharing. And next week, we will be sharing a very different kind of story. And it is a very appropriate one for posting on Valentine's Day. So we hope you come back and listen next week. We truly hope that our podcast brings a little more understanding, helps you better articulate and reflect on your own experience with depression or better understand how to support someone else who is struggling. If this episode has been of comfort or value to you, know that there are hundreds of others like it in our archive, which you can easily find at our website, givingvoicetodepression.com. And remember, if you're struggling, speak up, even if it's hard. If someone else is struggling, take the time to listen.